Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So, uh, once again, my name is Brad. Uh, I needed a good sip. <laughs> Very nice. Very quiet. Thank you. Everybody on Zoom can hear me okay. I think we're good. Yeah, okay. Good thumbs up there. Um, so I thought I would talk today a bit. Um, well, the title is The Five Spiritual Faculties. Um, and it comes out of the um, ancient Buddhist sutras, suttas, which every way you want to pronounce it. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but I was a history teacher, so you get a little history here. So the Buddha, the, the actual time frame for the Buddha's life is a little bit under contention, but a good estimate was about 450 BCE or before the common era. So about 25, 2600 years ago. Um, and you probably know the story of his awakening as enlightenment. And then he spent, after his awakening, he spent 40 years homeless, camping out all over northern India, as far as I can tell, um, supported by the communities in his sangha. But he taught for 40 years, and his, supposedly as the story goes, his cousin was Ananda. And lucky for us, uh, Ananda had a photographic memory. And he memorized all of the Buddha's teachings uh, and then was able to recite them to the other monks. And then after the Buddha's passing, for about 300 years, it was an oral tradition. Um, and uh, finally, about, uh, what was it? I'm not sure, about 300 years later, they were finally written down um, and collected. And, uh, there are thousands and thousands of pages. I don't know if you've had time at ever to go look into the Buddha Suttas at all, but it's just thousands of pages long, whole bookshelf full. Um, but anyway, one of the teachings that comes out of that ancient Buddha Suttas is um, this notion of the five spiritual faculties. I really like it because the, um, the word faculty means it's something that we all possess already. It's something that is innate to us as human beings. Um, the five faculties uh, that we're going to talk about, the Buddha talked about in this case anyway, there's others, but faith, effort, concentration, faith, effort, concentration, and Wisdom and mindfulness. I think that's five. So these are the five that we all possess already. Um, and to some extent, they kind of work together, which I'll try to explain a little bit later. But I'm going to go through this a little bit and just talk about it a little bit. So first would be faith. So a teacher um, many years ago made the comment to me, and it really stuck, that we all have faith in something. Uh, so I kind of 
thought back, well, what what did I have faith in in those days, or what people have faith in these days? Uh, faith in the stock market, <laughs> faith in the government, political figures, gurus, you name it, right? We all have faith in something, right? And since we're all here, we sort of have faith in meditation, Buddhist teachings in some regard, kind of have some faith in that. Um, I remember originally I started practicing, I started fooling around with meditation, my late teens, you know, all those things. And I, I was, as I made it, I did this talk a few weeks ago. Uh, and I was reflecting, well, what, what got me involved, what got me started in meditation, you know, and spiritual practice? And maybe some of you are old enough to remember the David Carradine and Kung Fu, the, the TV show. <laughs> he was a uh, Chinese immigrant to the, to the West in the 1800s, and he would meditate and beat people up. And it, it seemed really cool, you know, <laughs> Shaolin monks. <laughs> So I yeah, dabbled in meditation a little bit later and did some karate and kung fu. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, the meditation stuck around. Um, so <laughs> initiation into faith, right? Uh, so as you start this practice, right? Well, the Buddha said... Um, in regards to faith here about what he was talking to he said don't take me for my at my word all my teachings are open-handed i think i mentioned it last week maybe i'm not sure but just don't take this as gospel um don't revere me i'm giving you these practices i'm giving you these talks you look through the own lens of your own mind and see if they work see if it's see if it works for you uh and uh, that once you have done a little bit of that, it leads to wisdom, right? You say, okay, I'm going to sit down with these practices. And I don't know what it has done for you, but I'm sure you've had some benefit. So that that's wisdom, right? Um, and I'll go into a little more detail. But then that wisdom then increases your faith, at least in this practice. Because you think, oh my goodness, I'm calmer, less angry, maybe have some psychological insight that uh, helps out, relieve some of the, the stress. Uh, and so that that uh, increases your faith in the practice, increases. And uh, we'll go on with that a little bit later. Um, the other faculty here is effort. Um, probably many areas of life you've accomplished things that have taken effort, right? And meditation is another one of those. Um, I don't know about you, but it takes effort to sit every day. It takes You have to really set the time. You have to really decide to let go of whatever the mind is doing or the, the habits are doing and just make that effort every single day, right? If we sit upon it, um, and it's easy to be very comfortable. You get in a nice groove. Maybe life's going along pretty well. Maybe there's a little bit of dissatisfaction, but you just, you know, going through the life day after day and sort of dreamlike. It takes that effort to sort of wake, want to wake up, right? 
takes that effort to want to wake up. Uh, and uh, break out of those habit patterns. Um, and sometimes it's good to reflect on uh, <clears throat> how uncertain things are, uh, how, how quickly things can change. Uh, and if you don't put the effort in now, when are you going to do it, right? And you're going to use the, so use effort and harness that faculty of effort to awaken the mind. We all have that faculty within us. Um, the other faculty, uh, mindfulness, being present to whatever is arising in your experience. And uh, you can, I think there's many, many books written on mindfulness. I'm sure many of you have read them and studied them. Uh, the Buddha broke it down in another sutta. I'm sure you're familiar with the Satipatthana Sutta. So the four foundations of mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness of the body. Uh, knowing where your body is in space. Being in embodied. Uh, we're so we have a very we're a very mental culture. Uh, you know we're mostly in our can be mostly in our heads. Uh, so mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling tones, uh, greed, the three feeling tones: greed, aversion, and delusion. So are you moving towards things? A desire, greed's kind of a strong word, isn't it? So desire, moving towards something, moving against something or away from something or that middle ground where you tend to space out, delusion, um, becoming aware of that, right? Um, I think I mentioned it last week. 80% 80, 80 of our experience is kind of neutral. It's not uh, strongly desirable or strongly, we don't want to push it away. It's just kind of neutral. And it's during that neutral time, we tend to not be mindful. Right? We tend to space out the most during the neutral time. So I like to really bring my attention to the neutral time. Um, you know, pick a task that's sort of, that's uh, kind of neutral, washing dishes, getting dressed, taking a shower. Just kind of being mindful, you know, not tight on it, but just sort of being mindful of what's going on, especially with the things you do on a regular basis. They're so habitual that you just kind of can be off here and this is going on on its own. And just kind of bring your attention to that going off on its own. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever done that experience that I would. I was a high school teacher for decades and uh, it got very habituated you know, getting ready, sweeping the floor, whatever I had to do, but it was just nice to bring some attention to all that, kind of enliven the whole experience. So mindfulness of feeling tones, mindfulness of the mind, emotional states, whatever coloring your experience. Um, they're great. Um, and they look at, and then the last one is mindfulness of the dhammas, the truth of things all these great lists that the Buddha made, um, keeping them in mind, working with them. Uh, this is a great list, at least for me, the five faculties. Uh, 
great list to kind of keep in mind and look at. So the other faculty, concentration, concentration. Um, there's kind of a spectrum here. Uh, there's uh, one point of concentration where you focus all your attention on one object. Um, and then there's more of a Vipassana style of concentration where you open the field up and you notice all the objects that are occurring in your experience, all the sensations and perceptions that are occurring in your experience. So it's kind of on a continuum. Um, and it's a good one to play with. Um, sort of a, one of the balancing factors. If you're over-efforting and you're restless or you're tight, and it's good to move the mind towards a more narrow focus, more one-pointed. If you're finding yourself sleepy or kind of falling asleep in practice or in life, it's nice to open up the field and experience more what's going on. So it's nice to be able to play with that a little bit. Um, and then wisdom. Um, learning, at least for me, opening up the mind, be able to see uh, without a field of concepts, just be much more intuitive, right? Um, awaken the mind to that level. The Buddha talked about the three characteristics of all phenomena. Uh, Nietzsche, Pali word for impermanence, noticing the constant change that is occurring, moment by moment by moment by moment, right? It's easy to see the change on a macro scale, the seasons. Uh, you can also see change very on the micro scale through practice. I'm sure you've noticed how busy the mind can be, just uh, how sounds change. Uh, and you can really get, uh, really see this, uh, the constant change that is occurring. Uh, dukkha would be the other characteristic here. Um, sometimes it's translated as suffering. Uh, there's another teacher, Kanyasuro uh, Bhikkhu, he calls it stress rather than suffering stress or discontent. Uh, and the Buddha said it was baked in, much like impermanence is baked in, that it's always kind of there. Uh, and he, he said, the, well, the main reason is things are so impermanent. That uh, every time the mind tends to want to have things be permanent and safe, and guess what happens? Or we try to set up a perfect life or something, and guess what happens? The external world, right? It just, you know, you whatever, illness, old age, you know, the three, you know, old age, sickness, and death, right? Just constantly occurring, right? So, 
this kind of this stress is always there. Um, and the third was this uh, an, anatta or no self, non self. Um, we're, I like to think of it, we are verbs and not nouns, that we're always constantly changing, right? That things are always changing in our environment and we're always changing. Uh, we tend to view things, oh, I'm here and this is all there, but it's all interconnected, right? All interconnected. Mm -hmm. So wisdom, that's uh, beginning to understand that level of um, Buddha's teachings. So the other analogy that Buddha used on occasion was with the five spiritual faculties was an ox cart. So the wheels are uh, faith, effort, wisdom, and concentration. And mindfulness is the driver. So mindfulness keeps you going in the direction you want to be going. So if you find yourself too much effort and you're going this way, then you bring in a little more concentration this way. Uh, if maybe your even your faith is not working for you, maybe you've been disappointed by something or a teacher or something, then move towards wisdom. Read some more books. Explore some other explore some other teachings. Right. Uh, if um, yeah, so you get the idea, right? You're balancing these things. So. Faith is balanced by wisdom. Concentration is balanced by effort. And mindfulness is the driver of this cart. And you move, move through, you can move forward this way um, with, the, with the practice. That's what I have for you today. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have as much time to prepare as I usually do. So this is what I have. So we have plenty of time for discussion. Anybody have any thoughts on this? Um, I thought the distinction between mindfulness and concentration was interesting. They're so similar. Okay. Concentration and okay, wisdom. Concentration and mindfulness. Yes. So uh, I may have made this analogy last week. I'm not sure, but concentration and mindfulness. So you imagine where you want to be is through a jungle and the peak is over there. And you have a blunt, a heavy blunt instrument, like a piece of wood or a pipe or something. And you're going to try to hack your way to get to the top of a peak, say. It's going to be hard work, right? So that's concentration. If you just had a very sharp razor that was small, that would be mindfulness. Now, if you combine the two, right, you get a very sharp, like a machete. This is a little bit violent, but anyway. You have a sharp instrument like a machete, the concentration being the, the weights and the mindfulness being the the sharp, you can cut your way through. So I like, kind of like that analogy. They they do, they balance each other a little bit there too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh. 
Anybody else? Um, maybe it's done. I'm working on noticing defensiveness when it arises, like, oh, you're wrong or something, or I'm right kind of feeling. And then it blocks me from like actually hearing what the other person is telling me. And it's like, uh, I don't know. It feels really good to be able to notice it sooner. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's mindfulness. Mm -hmm. That's mindfulness. You feel the energy of the, like, I want to react this way. I want to react this way, but maybe this time I'm not going to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's mindfulness. Opens up the field a little bit, you know. Gives you more room to uh, make an appropriate response. Mm -hmm. I really like that. Yeah. Oh. Sir, I got some online. I always enjoy your talks. That, that was wonderful uh, encapsulation of the Buddhist teachings. I was reading something recently uh, by Tekna Han, his book, uh, The Heart of Buddhist Teaching. And in it, he he talks about uh, some of the inconsistencies in what's been passed down. Uh, this sutra was mistranslated. It said this. This one has, you know, been quoted this way. This was inserted in the wrong place. Um, you know, the the historians have been able to to figure some things out. And one of the things that he he mentioned was um, he thought that. Buddha's original uh, three marks of existence were impermanence, non-self, and nirvana. Uh, and he gave the example of a chair. You can look at the chair and uh, say it's not made out of chair. It's made out of wood. It also was. It also needed someone to cut it down. It also needed water. It needed clouds. It needed you know. You can you can look at. Uh, uh, and then, of course, uh, no self, uh, same thing. But then he said that you can't look at a chair and say that the chair is suffering. It's not one of the marks of existence. Now, if you have an attachment to the chair and the chair breaks, then you suffer. But the chair, you know, everything is not suffering. Um, he said that people have gone overboard with the suffering thing. And that, uh, you know, so there's, there's it. He says that uh, you know the extinguishing of of uh, all these thoughts coming and going, all the the dualism uh, leads to the experience of nirvana uh, or enlightenment, and that is the third mark of existence. That things have this Buddha nature, this ability to to uh, uh, you know, I guess all living things. But you know that this is what Technahan said uh, in his book. It was kind of interesting to see him um, kind of go through many of the different sutras and talk about what he thought was consistent with the Buddha's message and what was had had uh, changed over time. You know, there there's lots of different times where you know there was splitting of you know, northern group and southern group, and this, this, uh, and uh, 
you know, there's unanimity in some sutras, and then you can see differences. So you can tell, you know, when things changed and when things were were modified. Um, so it's just interesting. And I I I think your your uh, your talk was was quite excellent in just its breadth of uh, some very important topics. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I don't. I'm not a expert on historical Buddhism. I do know that um, Buddhism died out in India. Uh, this the ancient Theravadan Buddhism. They kind of I, I know the best and speak out speak towards a lot. Ended up on Sri Lanka, the island off the coast of India, and that's where it was preserved. And much of this, all the writings were preserved. And then over the centuries, it spread into Southeast Asia, Burma, Cambodia, and Thailand. And then, before it was extinguished in India, it went north into Tibet, and then China, and then Japan, and then Korea. Uh, and the two great divisions were the like. Hinayana, the small vehicle, and the Mahayana, the, the great vehicle. The Theravadans don't like to be called the Hinayana, I guess, but that's and um, so there's different emphasis, right? And the interesting, I would like to explore what Thich Nhat Hanh said. But, you know, I'd like to read that book actually. But if you think of the two, the Hinayana and the Mahayana, they met in Vietnam. These two sort of differing. They weren't all they're different emphasis. They met in Vietnam, and that's where Thich Nhat Hanh was born and raised and became a, a monk, right? So he had exposure to both the, the Zen tradition that came from Japan and also the Theravadan that came up from uh, Thailand and other parts of Southeast Asia. So, And I'm not going to speak to Nirvana because mm -hmm. it's a... That's way above my pay grade. <laughs> um, but thank you for bringing that up again. Yeah. Very good. Anybody else? Comments or anything? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you very much. At uh, um, one of the things that this brings up for me is rather fitting is and I appreciate about the Sadiqtana Sutta is how offers different 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 pathways, uh, different foundations of mindfulness to deepen the cultivation of mindfulness. And I'm becoming more aware how at different times some pathways are more available to me than others. Mm -hmm. And not judging myself for a pathway yeah. that's usually there for me, not there for me when when I'm looking forward to, to help help a brother out <laughs> yeah so uh last night i'm just still i'm just coming in from a uh a, a 28 hour shift at the hospital there's no reason why human beings should work like that no no and it was i would love to say it was like a great shit it was shift it was absolutely terrible oh, i'm sorry yeah life <laughs> and then like right in the middle of it things are going ah, crazy crazy and uh it occurs to me that I made a mistake and it's affecting patient care. And so then I'm like tight and I'm frustrated at myself. And then uh, like, like three or four other things all start to like unravel at the same time. Mm -hmm. and, and then as that's like settling down, 
I started to think to myself, like, hey, I, I want to like run, I want to hide, I want to. I started thinking to myself, like, oh my goodness, I have eight more hours of the shift. <laughs> <laughs> and so normally I'd be like, all right, I can pause, you know, take a couple deep breaths, get really mindful of a certain, uh, um, some objects, and like ground myself in that way, and like, uh, oftentimes like breath is it, a is a gateway for me to, to, to tell some. And then I noticed that the more I focused on my breath, the more anxious I became. And like, I started thinking about like all the things that I had like, that I had to like do. And uh, like, it just, it, it just was like really, it wasn't working. And so then I was like, it, and obviously in that moment, like I couldn't, I, I have enough wisdom to know that I can't trust my thoughts. <laughs> there you go. I was like, all right, like, cause I just started having some crazy, crazy thoughts. And, um, I was like, all right, well, is there another like pathway to help ground the body right now? And and, and so Vedana, uh, sensation, another pathway in the Sati Pana Sutta was, was there for me. And it was really, it was like, yo, Femi, just like walk really slowly. You don't have to think to figure out what's going to happen with this person. Say this patient, dude, you literally need like five minutes to like ground. Because if not, like I kept making more mistakes. With more with more things and the cycle kept going on uh but i was like all right if i could just get away from it all five so i did i went to a workroom and just was like and i didn't it wasn't like super evolved or thoughtful i was just like can i just feel my feet can i just and after doing that for a couple of minutes uh i was like well i'm really tired yeah. <laughs> so let me lay down so I laid down in like three minutes literally in the dark I was like all right cool I get up and go go back but that helped um and again I think the teaching for me is like I don't have to force this process of, of, of peace of settling the heart of grounding but if by using the body something that's very very foundational my practice if I listen to, to, to this body and I can, can utilize Vedana sensation as another pathway when other things are swirling and aren't so available. I think that's you know, a much better example of this teaching than I did. You know, I'm not talk, you know. You have faith in the practice. You have wisdom. And then you have, a, you have some understanding. So... You also have technique, which is wonderful, you know, and so mindfulness of the breath is not working because it's, you know, sometimes the breath is here, so we connect that with the head. And so then that gets us into our thoughts, right? So then you shift it down to the body. Yeah. And that's concentration in some regards, you know. So all these, all those faculties are kind of working together. Mindfulness is the one on top, right? You know, mindfulness is noticing that you're tired. <laughs> I'm sorry, out of 28, I can't imagine that. I, I thought six hours of high school was plenty children, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I'm glad it worked. You know, glad it worked. And I, Thank you for your service. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> the people on Zoom, can they hear? People in the audience here, okay? Okay, good, 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 good. So, yeah, so that was a perfect example, you know? So I shift around personally, um, you know? I do a lot of body scanning because I tend to be anxious, you know? 
I can be easily thrown off. And then you go to sit and it's like, it just takes a long time. You know, it can take me 10, 15 minutes, right? Just back and forth. And the speed of that is variable, you know? And, uh, but that will eventually calm the mind, you know? And, uh, uh, Anthony again. Yes, Anthony, go ahead. Yes. Um, I just wanted to mention that uh, I've also had the ex experience of feeling like the breath failed me as, as a relaxation technique and as a way to focus my mind. And I found that uh, by chanting, uh, by saying something out loud, it was able to capture my attention and, and calm my mind down so I wasn't so focused on the thoughts. I could actually detach from the thoughts. Um, so if I just chanted, rest mind, don't think, rest mind, don't think, or you know, something to to uh, let go of the worry, uh, the thoughts, the anxiety, the sadness, whatever it was, uh, I just found that helpful. So I, I agree, sometimes the breath doesn't seem like a strong enough anchor. Um, and it's great to, to play around with lots of different techniques. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm the guiding teacher for Long Beach before Joe Kai took over, Victor Bird, he called it a toolbox, you know, mm. that you have a toolbox and that you have a variety of techniques that you have in your toolbox. And then you can, you know, have the wisdom, right? The effort and the wisdom to decide which is going to work for you. Um, the breath is very traditional. You know, the breath, that, it's a very traditional. Um, in Burma, they use the, the stomach mostly, I think I'm doing this right. In Thailand, they use mostly the nose. Um, but uh, it's not, certainly not, you could use any object. You can use any object. I think that's what uh, the Buddha was alluding to in the Satipatthana Sutta. Uh, and the phrases, you know, whatever phrases, you know, breathing in calm, exhaling peace. I think that's what I use sometimes, a lot of times, you know, just do that. Uh, they work wonders too. Uh, and if you do get calm and settle down, the breath becomes very subtle, you know, so it's kind of, you can use that breath as a barometer of what, what's going on with your mind and body. Yeah, so just suggestions. Oh, anybody else? I just like the visual of the cart at the end. Visual kind of person, so the concept of the balance and the mindfulness being the drivers is helpful. If I can keep that image of the four wheels and of it's the equanimity in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Thank you for that. Sure. The other image you use of the cart, um, dukkha, that discontent. It's like your your ox cart wheel is just slightly out of round, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so I think the more you balance these factors the more it kind of comes into the roundness not saying it's ever going to be perfect right but uh, yeah so anyway I like that one too I, I really like what you said earlier about uh, faith um, because typically in most religions faith is someone saying, I've got a diamond in my hand. You can't see it, but just take it on faith that it's there. You know, all these miracles happen. 
just believe me, you weren't there, you don't know whether it happened or not, but just believe it. And Buddhism, the reason it attracted me as a teenager was that it was saying, I've got a diamond in my hand, do you see it? Maybe at first you can only see it in a very vague way, but as time goes on, you see it more and more clearly. Um, you know, at first, it's hard to see impermanence because you're so attached to your thoughts that it's just one train of thought. You know, it's thought after thought after thought after thought. And then pretty soon you become the watcher of thoughts and you start to have breaks between the thoughts. You start to have a distance from the thought. You know, your mind becomes more spacious and can, can hold whatever object comes uh, and just let it come, let it go. And it becomes it has less attachment and aversion, and so it's it's interesting that uh, this open handedness uh, is uh, such a wonderful thing. And then it it leads to more faith. I mean, you you certainly have more faith in the sutras. The more you see what the Buddha said, look right here. Oh yeah, I see that. You know, and then so it's 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 a wonderful practice. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you know, you hear a uh, blind faith, uh, and uh, I guess it was a rock group many years ago. <laughs> yeah, blind faith, but uh, I don't. You see, that was religious figures. You know, what you were mentioning. You know, you have to believe these things, and then you know, you, you put a certain amount of your faith in, a, in one person, and then disappointment. You know. Uh, you can see this kind of play out in politics. Well, I don't want to get into politics, but you can see that, you know, you just, it just without the wisdom aspect, right? You know, the, the discernment about things. So that's another reason why I like this, this sort of the, the version of Western Buddhism coming through inside LA and someone Long Beach. Um, no one's telling you what to do, right? They're, I mean, no one's, putting themselves on a pedestal. They're just offering these teachings and saying, here, come and see for yourself, right? And, uh, you know, there's not as a lot of trappings and, and, and blind faith involved. So it's kind of what attracted me to this particular version. Um, there hasn't been that many scandals. <laughs> you know? I'm not sure about that. Well, there's been... Um, there may have been some, I don't know. Uh, but uh, compared to what I've seen, heard in Zen and from the Tibetan systems, and I don't want to go down that road and talk, but I mean, it just seems a little more clean, you know. Uh, there's been some. Well, like Western Buddhism just is just like, just meditate, basically. And just don't worry about the, like, because I know Buddhism has a lot of actual, like, religious stuff, like, especially in the East. I think we're still sorting it out. I don't know, maybe some of the opinions on this. I don't know if it's just meditation. I, there's there's three great trainings, right, at least in the Theravada, and there's mm -hmm. the concentration, there's the wisdom, and then there's the whole huge field of morality. The Eightfold Path, the Five Precepts, mm -hmm. and the discussion is really—it's an ongoing discussion—is can you really 
practice Buddhism without the morality aspect, right? right. It isn't a whole package that comes together. And I'm not saying, you know, we're not all immoral or whatever, but can you just isolate mindfulness as a practice without mm -hmm. having the other parts of Buddhism included in it? I think that's an open discussion, really. I don't think it's been solved. Um, Western, we preferred the secular... Like just take the can we just take the Buddhism religion quote unquote part out? Yeah. And just take the mindfulness. And I think people try to do that, but yeah, I think it's incomplete in my personal experience. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Mm -hmm. I don't you know, like I said, I'm no expert. You know, originally seemed like in the 80s and 90s, it was coming through psychotherapy a lot, you know. And I think it still is, you know, a little somewhat i'm not going to be the psychotherapist here but uh i think we've it's moved away a little bit from that um and it used to, it, there was um I just read a piece by a teacher spirit rock teacher philip moffat uh really there wasn't much of an emphasis early on with concentration uh sort of that one point in this you know there was more of an emphasis on the open mindfulness uh because it was a feeling that we wouldn't have the time or the energy to really develop concentration in the West. Um, but that's changing too. I know it's changing too. Um, um, my, uh, I guess my first, like, um, where I got really into actually learning how to meditate was through the Mind Illuminated. Mm -hmm. um, that's a concentration practice mostly. There, there is yes. some open awareness there, but that's yes. further in. Right. Um, but yeah, I basically threw, but uh, I probably practiced it like nonstop for six months or a year. And then it's all I thought about. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, just because there was so much suffering mm -hmm. and like, oh, this is the way out, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, so. Yeah, that I don't. I'm not an expert, but they mind mind illuminated is a, it's a comes out of Theravadan, but it's more towards the concentration. And yeah, what was it? Who's the author? Uh, Yates. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Mm -hmm. Chuladasa. Yeah. 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 But he he felt that the uh, emphasis on concentration would smooth the path out much mm -hmm. better than I don't just being mindful of all everything. Everything that's going on, it was that it's a little mindfulness can be kind of rough sometimes, kind of rugged. Right. Um, you know, it just can be like everything flying at you, you know, impermanence, dukkha, you know, uh, that the concentration would smooth it out, um, which is probably accurate. Um, for me, meta practice, loving kindness practice. Right that but, seems to be yeah. somewhat of the key that balance between uh wisdom and compassion it's true like uh, i i have i have a lot of skill in um concentration and stuff but like that it's only one piece of it i was missing like the actual um using um my mind to stabilize too yeah, and I was just relying on the breath too much, and not 
and then my mind was still a bit out of control where it was hard to uh, hard to like make it stay not uh in those thought loops and stuff and then once i added uh once i started adding meta it was like oh this is that piece i was missing that will tame my mind more okay. yeah it really it really yeah you open up the heart a little bit it makes things much nicer mm -hmm. yes sir a few years ago, I was pondering this very question, uh, the importance of um, the ethical principles and the pathway and thinking about concentration of religious tradition. And I, I made a commitment to myself to never try to be better than I am. Mm -hmm. Just allow myself to be who I am. And why that was important to me is because I was... Uh, what I, what I what I attempted to do was I was in a good place in my practice and uh, I, I wanted to obviously continue to develop it but I was noticing that I was making some ethical decisions in my life friends family relationships that weren't consistent with what a good person would do yeah. right and 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 I beat myself up, judge myself on it, but that the shitting on myself about it, like you shouldn't, that wasn't what what got me to change certain things. It was noticing how, as I continue to develop more concentration and more wisdom, then there was a natural insight of how this was deeply harming me, <laughs> like deeply harming me, my relationships, the goals that I attest that I want or assert that I want for myself. And for all of the time and ways that I had tried to force myself to don't do this and do this and be a good person, the how reliable that was at working, plus or minus, not so much. But when I used the practice, um, uh, when I use the, the samadhi and the panya, the, the, the concentration, the wisdom, it, it naturally created a desire to to deepen my sila, to like be more ethical with certain things because it, I wasn't stumbling over myself having to undo lies that I told people mm -hmm. previously. <laughs> and I, I feel like that is, uh, for me, one of the best and strongest testaments to the practice is like how you can directly see how you can directly see uh it it, un, it, it, it unfolding itself and it, and it takes away the idea of forcing or cajoling the heart into a place where it doesn't want to be and it allows like uh an expansive and, and unfolding experience thank you that's, that's wonderful yeah and the buddha made i think it was the buddha but Imagine walking into a room of a hundred people and you have no, you have, you know, what's the proper where I'm trying to put. You've treated everybody well, you know what I mean? Whatever generosity, honesty, high moral standards, uh eth yeah, what a way to live, right? What a way to live. It's an aspiration, right? Aspiration um, to live that way. And you made another good point, I think. You know, that idea of, you know, accepting where you're at right now, 
right now in this moment or in this day, right? And not living a life where, you know, like the carrot on the stick, you know what I mean? Like you're, I'm here and I want to be there and you keep moving, but there is, this is in your mind. This is something you've made up over here. Life is happening in the present right now here, right? And uh, that's the be here now, you know, but uh, it's true, right? It's true. Um, it doesn't mean you have wise reflection, you know what I'm saying? Wisdom, effort, but you know, I think you said it better than me. So thank you. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, one of the things that you just mentioned was generosity. I'm thinking about that because um, I seem to remember at one point hearing that traditionally in this tradition, it starts with training in generosity. And um, I've always found that to be something to think about and also a difficult thing for me. I think it's because of how I was raised and culturally. Um, I, I kind of come from a thinking of deficit, so it's hard to think about sharing and giving. Um, so have you heard that, the, that this tradition starts, the training starts with generosity and then it builds into other parts and stuff? I heard it from the Mahayana, sort of the Chinese. Oh, the I maybe, I'm not, but I've heard it coming out. I've heard more of talk of that out of, out of. So that's like the beginning of your practice. Right. Yeah. yeah, generosity is an interesting one, you know. Um, I mean, just coming in early and setting up the cushions or, you know, just whatever, opening the door for someone. Um, doesn't have to be this magnanimous, you know, big, huge, you know, give away a million dollars or whatever, you know what I'm saying? It can be just, you know, day to day, you know, just the little things, you know. Yeah, I think it's a hard thing culturally, though. Um, yeah, because I don't see a lot of uh, positive feedback on generosity in our in our people in our society. You know. Yeah, you're right. Kind of like the rugged individual, every man for himself. Yeah, I guess it's it could just be within a your small well, so your family, your social circle, whatever it is. <laughs> I was down at the. I took my, my wife and daughter and I and our dog. We went down just the cliffs down here, Bumble, right here in front of Long Beach down here, you know. And uh, there's kept one one girl on on roller skates and another the other kid was running along and they, they're kind of in the way a little bit. You know, okay, I'll just get on the grass over here. No big deal. And then this, Mr. Gibson, that's my last name. How are you? you students I had like five years ago. But, you know, one one... Remember the the young man was just a hellion, you know. <laughs> there was a whole crew of them in this one class, and they, you know, they tried their best, and but it was such a bad class, it was fun, you know. <laughs> but they remembered me, you know, as you know, generous. I don't know what you would call it, generosity, but not anger, not put downs, just you know, dude, just sit in your chair, you know. And uh, he remembered me; he was happy to see me. And so I thought, oh, that's kind of you know, because I tried and. For all those years to do some of this Buddhist ethics and morality, generosity, compassion, and you kind of had to, had to modulate a lot because you have to control what's going on, right? Can't let everybody just run out when they want it or whatever. But you know, work with people. One, you know. So anyway, I kind of I thought as an example, of small things I did that just popped up five years later. I think they must have been 22, 23, These two people. I had both of them as students. You know, just anyway, small gestures. You know, many times. 
And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to see that you can look at the Buddha's experience of enlightenment and experiencing his oneness with everyone else and everything else as being the, uh, you know, the, the ultimate in compassion and wisdom and morality. Um, if, if everyone is an aspect of yourself, how could you not be compassionate? Uh, mm -hmm. Someone's hungry, that's like your left hand holding on to food and not feeding your right hand. Um, if, if you act in an immoral way, it's like punching yourself in the face. Um, and then wisdom comes from not being attached or having aversion to things and, and just doing what the situation calls for, what the moment calls for without, you know, the mental habits that get in the way of doing what's right, doing what, what the situation calls for. So it, it, on the one hand, it looks like you can, you can take all the factors of a Buddha and practice them. I can practice loving kindness. I can practice uh, wisdom. I can practice, uh, you know, or you can experience enlightenment and those things are there. Um, and it's interesting that different sects of Buddhism kind of uh, go after that in a different way. You know, in Zen, there's much less emphasis on generating compassion. Um, there's much more, seems like an emphasis on just, hey, become enlightened, become a Buddha, and then you'll understand, uh, you know, appropriate behavior. But it it's, uh, it's just interesting to go back to the source, you know, how the Buddha, um, where all these teachings came from. They came from his, his enlightenment. Yeah, I think that's accurate, yes. Yeah, the, um, I guess the main difference between the Mahayana school and the Hinayana school of Buddhism is the uh, Mahayana, I'm sure you heard this before, the Bodhisattva vow. The idea that you're not going to take final enlightenment, you vow to stay within samsara and existence to help all all beings. Uh, so that's that ultimate gift of compassion. Um, so kind of interesting to speculate on that a little bit too. Um, anybody last comments or anything? I did bring a little poem for you. You may have heard this before. If you can start the day without caffeine or, it's called the fam, I won't tell you. If you start the day without caffeine or pep pills, if you can start the day without caffeine or pep pills, if you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles. If you can eat the same food every day and be grateful for it. If you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time. If you can overlook when people take things out on you when, through no fault of yours, something goes wrong. If you can take criticism and blame without resentment. If you can face the world without lies and deceit. If you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, 
if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can do all these things, then you're probably the family dog. <laughs> I like that. It kind of lightens things up, puts the little things in perspective. So that the, title of it? the family dog, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. so, anyway, so speaking of generosity, I'm sure that uh, inside LA Long Beach could use any donations that you wish to uh, send their direction. So that would be appreciated, I'm sure. Any last comments? I like to end with that meta chant. So we'll just do the four phrases and then we can end today. May all beings be free from inner and outer harm. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be strong in mind and body. May all beings have a joyful ease of existence. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for all your discussion was wonderful. Thanks. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.